Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. It's all about love. Everything's about love or the lack of it. And so we're thinking a little bit today about who is my neighbor and what that looks like and what that means. And we started off this year uh, talking about uh, the reality of value and virtue. And we did a little series called Behavioral Spirituality. And, and we did a contrasting idea. And the idea is that there is something called value. And those are sort of, uh, you know, uh, you could almost call them universals. Uh, human beings have a deep sense of what's valuable. In fact, there's a lot of interesting uh, sociological and anthropological studies that find that no matter what period of time you talk about or what culture you visit around the world, uh, we hold to a very uh, similar core set of values. What we believe matters in relationship in human life are alike. They really transcend culture. And so that's a really fascinating thing. Values, things that we intrinsically feel have value. We, We like justice. We like equality. We like freedom. We... We, we espouse these ideas. In fact, we're going to celebrate the birthday of our nation in the week this week, and, and that's become controversial. And uh, I think what we seem to forget sometimes is when we celebrate uh, the country, we're not celebrating its politics. Yay-bo. <laughs> See, that would have been a good place to jump right in there with that. You know, you could have really drawn that one out. Yay-bo. <laughs> But uh, we're not celebrating the politics of our country. We're not celebrating the policies of our country. We're celebrating the ideals. And historically, if you just followed the way the narrative unfolded, there were human beings around the world who espoused values and couldn't seem to put them into practice in the places where they lived. And so they left the places where they lived. And at great personal sacrifice, they came to another place where they could put into practice the values that they believed were most important. The celebration of this country is not about the country, it's about the values that are built into the underpinnings of who we say we are. And that's a very important statement, who we say we are. Because it's easy to talk about values. It's much more difficult to talk about virtues. Virtues, then, are putting into practice the values. And that's ironic. And we'll talk about the culture in just a second, but but before we sort of talk about the culture, which is easier for us to critique... Let's talk about the church, because the church has long espoused value and really struggled to turn those values into virtues. Talked a lot about what it means to love, what it means to care, what it means to be compassionate, what it means to be a source of intervention in the world. Talked a lot about the values, but had a much harder time putting into practice the virtues. And so that's what we're talking about. In fact, at the beginning of uh, planning for this year of teaching, and we kicked off the year with that series, Behavioral Spirituality, to kind of lay out some of those ideas of value virtue, we decided that we would put Sundays uh, scattered throughout the year in which we just stopped to say, we've talked a lot about values. Here we just finished a series on relationships, the blind spots relationship. We talked about integrity. We talked about hope. We talked about all kinds of things, and those are all values. And we all sat together and went, amen. (laughs) Yeah, bo. (laughs) But has anything changed? Because, you know, it's easy to gather and uh, intellectually consent together (laughs) that these are valuable things, that these are valuable ideas. But it's different to take those ideas then and put them into practice in our relationships and in our life and in our 
world. So we're having a value virtue day, and we're talking about what it means uh, to be a neighbor and what that looks like. Interestingly, uh, I'm going to share with you some things that, have, that happened in the last three weeks. I'm going to share some photos and some video and kind of help you understand uh, what's going on on the other side of the world in relationship to Africa. But I just want you to know we're going to talk about Africa a lot. You're going to see a lot of pictures. Uh, I'm not talking about Africa today. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about what this represents and why it matters and why it's important. Jesus is approached in Luke chapter 10, and he's asked a question that he's asked a, a number of times. He's asked the question about what's the greatest commandment in the law. Its context in this particular setting is what must I do to inherit eternal life. So let me read the story to you, and then we'll talk a little bit about it as we think together about what it means. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. Now listen to this heartbreaking verse. (laughs) But he wanted to justify himself, and so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? (laughs) I I mean, that's that's a really tough question to be asking at that moment. Because if you set it up contextually, then you understand that, first of all, that he's testing Jesus. And second of all, his question is not about how do you take care of people around you. His question is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do to be assured that everything's okay? What do I need to do to feel safe and warm when I lay my head on my pillow at night? What do I need to do to feel spiritually that I am okay? That's a very important thing to put contextually because of the story that's about to be told. How do I wrap myself up in my religion so that I feel safe and warm and good and the world doesn't bother me much? Well, what do you think? How do you read it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor yourself. You've spoken well. That's exactly what it says. But he wanted to justify himself, and so he asked, and who is my neighbor? I don't want to be loving people I don't have to love. I want you to define, this is very legalistic to me. I want a system by which I am off the hook. I want to intellectually check the boxes and be done. I do not want emotionally to engage with need and hurt and pain in the world. I don't want to engage with need and hurt and pain in my family. I don't want to engage with need and, I want people to engage with my need and hurt and pain. But I'm not that excited about connecting with their hurt and pain. So Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. So culturally, immediately we have an understanding of something that's going on. We immediately understand sort of a process. Jerusalem is up on the mountain. Jericho is down towards the Dead Sea. That area, by the time you get to Jericho, you have left behind vegetation. In fact, the area surrounding Jericho and south is considered the wilderness. It's where Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. It's where John the Baptist lived in the wilderness. The wilderness, has a, it is a wilderness for a reason. Because there is nothing there except desert and heat. Going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. 
and a priest happened by. Well, of course he did, because he was serving in Jerusalem and he lived in Jericho, because most of the priestly clans lived in Jericho and they made their way from Jerusalem down when they served in the temple. And so a priest was going about his priestly business. He was wrapped up in his religion. You understand the impact? And he passed by on the far side. And the crowd would have sympathized with the priest. They would have immediately said, of course he did. Because had he entered into a moment with this person who was injured and found him to be dead, he would have been disqualified to serve in the temple. He would have been ceremonially unclean. Therefore, he didn't take the chance. He passed by on the other side. And they all would have said, good for him. The greater good is more important than the need of the individual. He's practicing his religion. He needs to go offer the sacrifices for the sins of the people. He doesn't have time to take care of this individual. He's looking out for the masses. <laughs> Value, virtue. And then along came a Levite. Well, a Levite is an administrator at the temple, all part of the priestly clan, but, but the Levites handled the administrative work, and the priests handled the ceremonial work. So he passed by on that. Well, of course he did because he would have been ceremonially unclean for the same set of reasons. And then along came a Samaritan. Now, you have to appreciate who the Samaritans were in the story. It depends on who you ask, but the Samaritans were either descendants of the tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim. If you ask a Samaritan, they would say, oh, we're descended from the tribes of Ephraim. We're, we are Jewish. We are pure Jews. The tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, that's us. We worship on Mount Gerizim. Mount Gerizim is the original holy mountain. That, that's where Abel made his sacrifice. That's, that's where Noah made his sacrifice. That's where Isaac was going to be sacrificed. That's where Abraham met Melchizedek on the mountain of Gerizim. That's where we worship. That's where our temple is. We are Orthodox Jews practicing a more primitive faith than those liberal Jew, Jews down in Jerusalem. Well, if you ask the Jews who the Samaritans were, they would tell you they're Babylonians. That in 722, when the Assyrians sacked the northern kingdom, they import people from Babylon, a captured city, a captured country, and they import them to repopulate after they take the best and brightest into exile. That's how the Assyrians, how most kingdoms work. Now, we do know historically that the Assyrians did import Babylonians into the northern kingdom. We do know that. What we don't know is if they are Samaritan. <laughs> but the Jews believed it. Not only did they believe that they were Babylonians and had nothing to do, but they believed that they pretended to be Jewish, but were underlying, really, worshipers of the god Baal. That they had intermarried with the pagans, that if they had any Jewish blood in them, they had long ago ruined it because they were not racially pure. You get what I'm saying? We're talking historical prejudice. We're talking racial prejudice. We're talking religious prejudice. Not only that, but, but when the Romans annex the kingdom in about 145, 142 B.C., we have reason to believe that because of how poorly the Samaritans had been treated in Jewish culture, that they welcomed the Romans. And so by the first century, the Jews blamed the, the Samaritans for betraying them to the Romans. Do we understand where we are in the story? Yes. You understand what's happening culturally? <laughs> So a priest passed by on the far side, everybody went, good for him. And a Levite passed by, good for him. But a Samaritan saw him and bound up his wounds and took him to an inn and paid and said, I'll come back. And if, it's, if he's incurred more costs, I'll pay for it. And then Jesus looks at the man and looks at the crowd and said, you tell me, 
Who acted like a neighbor to the man who had fallen among robbers? Do you see how the story got turned upside down? Because what he asked was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus reverses and says, who acted like a neighbor to the man? Well, who is my neighbor? Who acted like a neighbor? Well, the one who showed him mercy. Then you go and do the same thing. And it occurs to me that as I read the story and I think about the interaction, it occurs to me that this is true. You can be all wrapped up in your own life doing very worthy things and miss the need around you. Miss the person in your story, in your life, in your journey who needs a neighbor. You can miss the person in your family. I don't know about you, but, but I live sort of in an insular world. Do you live in an insular world? Yeah, I mean, we do. When, when we first moved here years and years ago, we would uh, take off and go places. Like, I don't know if you know this, but th- people actually fly here from around the world to visit Los Angeles. Isn't that weird? I mean, I've been in some really cool, charming places in the world. I was at Heathrow Airport one time, and we were flying back to Los Angeles, and the girl checking us in, she goes, oh, in her beautiful British accent, I just so want to go to Los Angeles. And I said, Why? People do. And when we first moved here, we were like, oh, Los Angeles, we've never been here. So every week we were going somewhere. I mean, we traveled up and down. We'd be, you know, down in San Diego one week. We were all over. And people here would be like, you did what? You ate where? Well, no, we haven't been down there in years. 31 years later, I find myself saying things like this. Well, I'm not going to Glendale. (laughs) I can't drive all the way down there. (laughs) I usually also say this. It's crazy down there. I mean, isn't that true? Like, I'm not going all the way to Pasadena. You can't park over there. (laughs) Where do you want to go eat? Well, it's got to be within four miles (laughs) because... I mean, isn't that why we're so excited when a new restaurant comes? We're like, well, they got to come to us. We're not going to them. Because <laughs> we keep shrinking our world down, and it's very insular. Most of us, we deal with the same people over and 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 over. We very rarely are exposed to something that is outside of our insular world, and we like it that way. And the question then becomes this. How... how If the Samaritan's not out on the road, if he's not being vigilant, if he's not watching what's happening around him, if he's not paying attention, if he's caught up in his own story, in his own religious cloak, he's going to miss something that's really important. He's going to miss the person who is in need of mercy. How can you show mercy or be a neighbor to a person with whom you have no connection? That's a part of what we do in Africa. That's a part of why we do what we do in Africa. And I I just want to, again, highlight. I'm going to highlight some things that happened on this trip. I I want to show you some pictures and do some things with that. But but I I just want to remind you, we have community partners, and we partner with these community partners because they are doing the frontline work in our city, in our community, and we support them. We can't emulate the work they do. We can't do what they do, but they can go, and we do support them with volunteers and resources. But, but this is not about a system of things. This is about an attitude in our heart. It's about that you and I become the people who are committed to go. And that going might mean that, that tomorrow when we go to work, we go with a different set of eyes. 
We go wondering who it is in need of mercy. To whom may we be a neighbor? Not who is our neighbor, but to whom may we be a neighbor? It's a mindset. And it's a mindset that through a lot of circumstances has led us to participate in a partnership in Swaziland. The kingdom of Eswatini, as it is now called. And so I, I think uh, it's interesting when you're there, and we talked about this a lot, and we entered a new country on this trip. We were a part of, uh, as the partnership has kind of spilled over now into Botswana, uh, I was in Botswana early in the trip for a couple of days, teaching and doing a few things, and so uh, touring uh, future project potential, places of need, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, one of the things that we've talked about in all of the places we've been on this trip is a quote that I've shared with you before from Mother Teresa. None of us can do great things, but all of us can do small things with great love, and together we can do something wonderful. And I shared that in Botswana with a group of pastors and leaders, and I shared that uh, in all the opportunities. By the way, when you go to Africa, I've learned this, uh, you've got to have about 10 sermons in your pocket because you never know when you're going to need to preach a sermon. Uh, they like to go to church for a long time. But we talk together about partnership. We talk together about what it means to be a good neighbor. Because it's not just about giving, it's about partnering. It's about figuring out how to intricately fit into a culture. It's about creating enabling resources without creating a place of dependency. And it's complex and it's multi-layered. And it really takes years and years of commitment together to sort of work together to figure it out. One of the stops we made along the way, one of the primary projects this time was a construction project in a little place called Mkozini. And Mkozini is a place that we were introduced to a year ago. We were introduced to it because of a pastor who has great passion for the project that's going on there. And it is typical in Swaziland for churches to evolve. And how they evolve is this. Someone will recognize an area that needs a church, a rural space, uh, where uh, there's a lot of community. And one of the odd things uh, about Africa is uh, that you can go to a place, uh, the location of this church. If you stood on the hillside where this little church is located and you looked and you counted the number of buildings that you can see from horizon to horizon, you might see 10 buildings. And of those 10 buildings, about three of them would be a personal residence. So you understand? You got an image in your head what that looks like? There's just not a lot of things out there. And so what will typically happen is someone understands that within whatever area, there's quite a number of homes, though you can't see them. And so they'll go and they'll say to a village elder, listen, we'd like to start a church and a congregation. We believe there's need in this community, and we'd like to have a place to do that. And the village elders will say, here's a little piece of property that you can have. It's got a nice tree on it, and you can create a preaching point. You can go here every Sunday, and you can teach Sunday school, and you can have church. And they'll start to do that. And they'll do that for a while until there's 30 or 40 people who are showing up every week under the tree. And then they'll go to the village elders and they'll say, we have about 30 or people showing up every week at this preaching point. We'd like to build a building. Can we do that? And they'll say, sure. And so they build a building of sticks, literally of sticks. They are not pretty. They are not quaint. They're not cute. They're functional. <laughs> and they'll put up a building of sticks and we were captured at Imkozini by the building of sticks. It's a, it's, a, it's a crazy, crazy little construction project. It's always funny because we're always concerned about safety, and yet we will go into these buildings. 
And then as the congregation starts to grow, because a building means something, a building means a major step ahead of the preaching point, they will begin to buy block because they can buy that. They can take an offering, and if they get, you know, 50 emelin guinea, then they can buy five blocks. And over a period of years, they will build a building, and the building will get to the point where it is built. There's no floor, but there are four walls, and there are space for windows, and there's no roof. And that's where we usually get involved. So we were invited to these four walls last year, and we gathered together, and we met with the pastor, and we went with the leaders in the church, and we said, we believe that we're going to adopt in Cozini as one of our projects for next year. And so we project together, partner together, and a roof, and then a floor, and then windows, and then plaster, and then paint. And so for two days, we were painting at this little building that looks like this now. Yeah. And one of the great stories about M. Cozzini is that, if you remember, we had a partner in a little church called Soweto. Soweto was our first major construction project in our partnership, and that was completed two years ago. Well, Soweto has adopted M. Cozzini, and now they are partnering. So at the end of this little project in which we painted and did some things on the interior and exterior, in fact, one day we brought a team with us from Soweto, and they helped us paint and but at the end of this, they need chairs, and so Soweto is raising money to buy chairs for M. Cozzini. So we love to see how the partnership works together and how it grows. And so we spent two days. Uh, the children's team came. Uh, it's so fascinating to sit outside on a hillside, uh, which you can't see buildings around, and yet when you pull out the Polaroid camera and you start a coloring project for kids, it's very short before you have 100, 150, 200 children, have no idea where they come from, have no idea who they belong to. <laughs> uh, it's not unusual to see a five-year-old taking care of a three-year-old, bringing them over from wherever they came from to, you know, take their photograph and do a craft. And so two great days at M. Cozzini. And then we had two great days at a brand-new place called Matt Jenny, uh, or Macwea. <clears throat> and at Macwea, uh, the building looked like this last October. So once again, you see, here's a congregation. Uh, they didn't have a previous building. They went from a preaching point to a block building, uh, but they couldn't get past this point. Uh, they couldn't get past the, the stage of needing a roof. So they had borrowed this tent from their district and uh, covered it up. This was taken at the very end of October last year. Uh, early November, the district needed the tent back. And so just in time for the rainy season, they peeled the tarp off the top of this building. And that's about the time we adopted it. Just uh, this photo was taken on that uh, lead trip that we adopted this building. And so uh, you gave money. We sent the money ahead in the time between uh, this photo in late October and the time we arrived in early June, the building was transformed, and we were able to be the team that began to paint and finish out. It's rare for us to be able to be that team at the very end and finish paint and clean windows and really get actually get the building ready. Uh, and uh, I, I think you can imagine uh, this little building was uh, unpainted inside and out and, uh, and the transformation in just a matter of days from Sunday to Sunday is very, very dramatic. And uh, just a little side note, you know, it's, it's so providential at times because one of the things that, that dictates how much work we do is the exchange rate. Uh, and uh, so, you know, we usually count on an exchange rate of 10 to 1, 1 U.S. dollar to 10 Emelin Guinea. But our rate this year was 14 to 1. <laughs> 
which just means we're able to do so much more work. You know, we're able to leave them in such a better place. And so uh, a great, great place for us to serve. Matt, Jenny, we were at last year. It was a project last year. Maybe you remember it as the Rock Church. Uh, this is a picture of the inside of that building. Uh, the task of the team last year was to get the rocks out of the inside of the building. And uh, maybe you remember some photos of a, a human chain as we lifted rock after rock and got them out from the inside of the building. And we lifted all the rocks that were uh, humanly uh, it was humanly possible to lift, and then there were a number of them left that were too large to move. Anybody remember that story? So uh, in genuine Swazi uh, fashion, we dug a giant hole in the middle of the floor and rolled all the boulders into the hole. <laughs> yeah. So there's always a way to do things. And, uh, and so uh, over this past year, uh, Matt Ginny received, uh, I had the roof last year, but received uh, the floor plaster paint. And so uh, this is what the building looks like as of this week. And one of the things I love about partnership is because we're back. You know, we didn't just come last year and move rocks. We came back this year and our children's compassion team had a whole day at Matt Ginny taking care of kids and uh, spending time. It's one of those places that's completely rural and very desolate and you're just shocked. I have no idea where the human beings come from. Uh, but uh, this was the most chaotic day, uh, maybe two to three hundred people uh, showing up uh, to be a part of uh, a lollipop and a, a, a Polaroid photo and a little craft. So nothing better than seeing adults coloring uh, a craft and seeing their Polaroid picture, and uh, it's very vivid, so we had the opportunity. On our way out of town, uh, we partnered with a, a, one of those churches. Sometimes, you know, we come to you in about March and we say, okay, we're all queued up, we have all of our project Money's been sent, and they're all underway, but we have about two or three churches that need help. Uh, they'll get on the list next year or the next year, but if you wanted to expedite it, if somebody were to say, today, here's an extra $7,500, we want to do it, uh, that happened at this little place called Niatani. And Niatani is, uh, we, on the way out of town, we're heading out to uh, head north to Kruger. Uh, we drive about an hour east of Manzini towards the city of Stegi. And uh, then you get off that road, which is, you're already in the middle of nowhere, and you drive about another half hour on a dirt road, and then you think, okay, we are now in the middle of nowhere. And then you turn, take a hard left onto a, a, a cow path. It was very, very interesting because we, we made this trip and got lost. So, you know, by the people who had been there. So as the person who is going, do we really know what we're doing? Do we really... So we were paying money to put a roof on a, do we even know where it is? And so eventually we pick up someone who knows exactly, and they ride with us in the bus, and we get to down the cow path to this church at Neatani. And uh, it just so happens we arrive as the rafters are going up. And our team had the chance uh, to help carry the rafters. You can see some of our people there, uh, particularly Ben, uh, who's in the middle of that picture, single-handedly manhandling those rafters into place. And uh, for about an hour, we sat and uh, celebrated with the kids, and uh, uh, they called everybody into the little stick building that's next door and uh, expressed their appreciation and gratitude, and I got to greet them and bring greetings from you. And uh, when I think about what it means for us to be going and being a neighbor to people, I think, how will you, would you ever know if you didn't go? H how would you know how to help? How would you know exactly what it means to be a part of these lives? How would you know 
what this particular community needs that's different from Mcozini and different from Mekawea and different from Matt Jenny, how would you know? Except we've been allowed to enter into their lives. We've been allowed to be vigilant with them, to carry on conversation with them, to build relationship with them. One of the other things that happens on every one of our trips is we participate with a group called Home Healthcare. It used to be called the AIDS HIV Task Force. Now it's called the Home Healthcare Task Force. And so you can take a look at sort of the intimate level of what happens in those moments. Over the years in our partnership with Eswatini, we've talked a lot about the construction projects we've completed, but one of the other ministries that we've worked with that's had a big impact on me is the Home Care Task Force. They go out into the rural communities and provide food, medication, and care to those with the most need. One of the people I've had the privilege to meet working with this organization is Evelyn Shongwei, who created this task force back in 2002. What we're doing, we're doing the home-based care, taking care of the people who are ill at home. The reason for starting this project, it was uh, at that time where was the rate of the HIV AIDS was very high. And people, they used to go to the hospitals. They find that the beds are full, that there is nowhere to sleep because the hospitals, are, they were full at that time. And then as the church, they see the needs that uh, this is our people. We need to have something to do with the people who are ill at home. It's been cool to see how over the last couple of years they've expanded their reach to care for people with all types of medical conditions. And one of the cool stories from this last trip was a lady that we visited who had just recently become a Christian. She had put out mats for us to sit on while we spent time with her. And as we were leaving, she said that she didn't want to pick up those mats because God had been there. In that moment, it really struck me how important community is and why we go over there and have a presence with these people. We could just stay at home and send money, but over the years, it's become more and more evident to me how our presence there is so much more meaningful than anything that we could ever possibly send. When Jesus was in physical, he was outside there to the people too. He was just visiting the, the needy, the sick, and as us as a church, we need to follow into Jesus' steps because he was the one who was doing that job, but we are the ones now. We, we need to be just the feet for Jesus to reach to those people. They need uh, a food, they need counseling, they need to be treated, whatever need they need. We are there for them. said at the beginning of this talk, this talk's really not about Africa, it's about you and it's about me. And so my question to you this morning is, in what ways are you making yourself available to be vigilant and watchful in your own life? Who will you encounter today, tomorrow? Who is in your own family? 
who is in need of a neighbor. You and I have no higher calling. And as the question is posed to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself, but who's my neighbor? This is not about wrapping ourselves up in our religion so we feel better. (laughs) This is about making a difference in the lives of others. It's about getting our eyes off of ourselves and getting our eyes on to the people around us. And you don't have to go to Africa to find people in need. Sometimes in Africa, it's simpler to find the people in need. (laughs) The system creates space in which you understand the needs a little differently than you do in your everyday life. But I promise you this. Right here in this room, there are lots of people with needs. There are lots of people in need of a neighbor. If you go to work tomorrow, if you go to school tomorrow, wherever it is that you find yourself, there are people around you in need of a neighbor. And I don't want to be a church that sits here week after week and talks about values. I want to be a church that sends people out into this community to practice the virtues of the kingdom of God. So that our prayer and our intention is that your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that starts in our own homes and in our own relationships. And then it steps out into our neighborhoods and out into our community and out into this city. And it reaches eventually around the world. But you and I are invited to put into practice the virtue of loving our neighbor as ourselves pray with me in fact I'd like to ask you to stand as we pray God we want to give you thanks we want to invite you and as we close out this service to create in us an image of what's happening here of your vision That you spoke to us that this body, this group of people called the church, is the very body of Christ, the very physical presence of Jesus Christ on earth. That as such, we inhale and we exhale. Week after week, we enter into this place and we breathe in your word and we breathe in worship and we breathe in your spirit and we find ourselves empowered and sustained and we lay at your feet our needs and we seek forgiveness and redemption And we celebrate grace and we celebrate mercy. And then you invite us to exhale, to move out of this place, to be this great body of people who walks out these doors, breathing out the very grace and praise and redemption that we have breathed in. You invite us to be salt and light in our world. You ask us to be people who not only talk together in a room like this about the values of the kingdom of God, but to go out from this place and to practice its virtues. To be people who put that into practice at home, first in Jerusalem and then Judea and then Samaria and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. May we practice being a neighbor in our own homes to our own family members. May we practice being a neighbor to look for those in need, to go out of the way, to be inconvenienced, to get out of our religious focus and into a human focus. Would you help us to be neighbors to the people around us? Would you make us sensitive to the need? And would you provide the words we need and the resources that we could provide some kind of care for those around us? I pray that it will be true in every one of our hearts and every one of our lives as we journey together. Would you please make it so we go in your name. And everybody said together.
Amen. And maybe what we ought to also say as we go out these doors together, we just say, God bless you. Thanks so much for being here today. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.